today. Uh, grateful that uh, there's a lot of great churches in this community. Goshen is loaded, Elkhart, uh, with uh, pastors that love Jesus Christ, people that love Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of great places that we could worship God in, in this community. And I pray for our local churches and our pastors regularly. Let's pray that this community would just flourish, that the churches would come alive, and that pastors would run after Jesus and this community would run after Jesus. So you had choice to make today um, where you would worship. I'm just grateful you showed up today. I'm grateful for volunteers that serve week in and week out, that give. We just had offering and you gave sacrificially. You worked hard this week and, uh, you know, we don't, those things don't go unnoticed and uh, we probably don't tell you enough, but you know what? We love you guys and we're grateful that we get to serve with you. We have an amazing God. And uh, it's an awesome time to be alive in our world uh, and to tell people about Jesus Christ. And personally, I can't think of anything better I'd want to do on a Sunday morning than worship with his saints uh, in our world. Think about this picture for a second. All across the world, um, in many corners and venues, in America specifically, probably more, uh, Sundays we gather to worship. And imagine the perspective it is for God as he sees his, his children, his sons and daughters lifting him up and I suspect that um, if we were able to see that uh, when that happens, um, our Father God uh, has emotions because we, we bear his resemblance, uh, we carry his, his DNA, and, um, and so he has a heart that responds in emotion, and when he's lifted up, um, I'm sure that puts a grin on his face um, because he sees his children obeying and loving him. And, and even as we open up God's word today, I'm excited about this because this word is living and active. And, um, and sometimes when I read God's word, and maybe for you too this week, it hit me again. Like people have been reading this for ages, like uh, hundreds of years. Um, um, th- this Bible has, has been in the hands of people. And yet this account that we read today is just as much alive and effective and relevant to us in the very day that it was written. I mean, by the way, you can't do that with Sports Illustrated. The dudes get outdated um, um, or Newsweek or Time or whatever it is. And yet God's word is alive and active. And we get to jump into this scenario. It's been a, a great journey. I love the book of Esther. Um, every week, I, I don't want to stop. Let's just get to the end. Um, it's just cause, because there's so much truth in it. Yet today we walk into the story near the end of the account of Esther. Last week we saw where Mordecai was robed and uh, was was surprised uh, by um, receiving this honor that the king had forgotten about for five years, and and uh, and so Esther was still she's still queen, and um, and and so the Jews are starting to see things move in their direction. Yet. Every day that you and I wake up, we have a decision to make. We have a decision to make, and I would kind of describe it this way. You made the decision this morning when you woke up. We have a choice, and we have this battle that, that rages, and I would call it the battle of heaviness. Like, we have a choice whether or not we will pick up this bag of weight, concern, anxiety, um, worry. And so when you woke up this morning, those things that have been running through the grid of your mind, through the hard drive um, that you've been tweeting or Facebooking or communicating or in conversation with or praying about, all those, all those 
trials, adversities, hopes, dreams, aspirations that have been running through your mind, you had a choice to make with those all week long, and you had a choice, will I let those things, will I let this thing weigh me down, or will I, will I not allow these to weigh me down? Will I trust in Jesus, even though there's this thing that just seems so big, like, if God could only do that, and, and so we have a choice to make, and it's kind of like the battle for heaviness, and so every day, we have a choice to make. The enemy wants us to pick up this bag, and by the way, it's very heavy, and he wants us to carry this, and some of you carried it into worship service today, and, and you, you were trying to worship God. Praise God. We, we even sang a song here in the main, um, you know, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. Is it, or is are you carrying this weight that you're not supposed to carry? It's like this bag of heaviness. And, and Jesus is saying, come, come unto me, though you're weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And yet our minds can be overloaded with weight that, that if we're not careful, it can turn into sin and anxiety and worry. And it will completely change your perspective and your walk with God. And all the while, God is saying, drop the bag of heaviness. You know, when we drop that thing, it just feels good, doesn't it? And sometimes I think, why in the world would I carry that? Like, why do I choose to carry it if the God that we serve is in complete control? And he says, don't you trust me? Every time we pick it up, we say, I don't trust you, God. And today we have this, this, this we jump into this text, and these Jews have been in bondage, have, have been in slavery, and now there's a death sentence on them. And so they had to wake up that morning and think, death sentence, death sentence. We got six months to live. My kid's going to die. And they could have walked over and they could have said, I'm carrying the heavy bag today. I'm going to carry it because my life just has got all this stuff going on. And yet they could have made a choice that says, I refuse to carry. I want to trust God. Let me ask you today, if you're really honest, completely honest, like like, if I could open up your hardware in your, in, in your mind right now, are you truly free? Like, are you weightless in Christ? Or is there something that just keeps you weighed down? Let me just give you a reality and a truth. The minute you pick up this bag and carry it all by yourself, the minute you believe that you need to carry this, is the second you say, I don't trust you, God. And you know what the opposite truth is that? The minute you pick this up, <laughs> old Satan wins again. So today we're going to see a group of people had a choice. We're going to see a queen has to make a choice. We're going to see some people have to make a choice. And they have to make a choice even though they can't completely see how it's all going to work out. Even though there's this giant hurdle. Even though there's this edict on their life that says Jews will die on this day. They still have to make a choice. Will I trust you? You see, I believe this to be true. And I know you do too. God will find a way to remove that weight, but we got to let him remove that weight. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go on a journey of becoming free in light today. And turn to the book of Esther. Turn to the book of Esther. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our, our, our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to the book of Esther, and we're going to read, look at chapter 7 and 8 today, but we're just going to read verses 1 to 4 of chapter 7. 
And when you find Esther chapter 7, let's stand and we'll read it out loud together. Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Let's read this together. Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Why don't you read it with me out loud? Ready, read. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. You may have a seat. Finally, Esther goes before the king. Mordecai has been honored for stopping this coup or this assassination. Finally, Esther, who the king doesn't know she's a Jew, finally finally goes to to her husband, the Persian king, after four or five years and says, hey, I am my people. She finally tells the king that she's a Jew. You know, I'm just thinking purely from a human perspective here. As I look at this text, and I understand Persian law, and I understand that often the wife was just like someone that was beautiful and someone that was just a model of perfection, and like you had a wife if you were king, but there wasn't a pure kind of relationship. But still, he's a man. And I often wonder, didn't he ever wonder like when he's, he's, he's out on a walk with her, or he's sitting in the palace with her, or he's intimate with her as husband and wife, didn't he ever ask her the question, hey, where'd you go to grade school at? Like, or hey, did you graduate in your high school class? Like, who was your third grade teacher? Like, um, tell me about your friends. Like, didn't, wasn't there ever like a moment in time where, as a man, because men are men, wasn't ever this curiosity like, um, tell me about your mom and dad. Like, like I noticed this, this character trait about you. Wasn't there ever just out of pure curiosity, and I understand the relationship was often different. It was just as, like everyone had a wife if you're queen, and they weren't, they weren't close, and he needed to put out the scepter when it was time for her to come in. And, but yet, he's a man, like, and he's, he's going to spend his life with this woman. Like, didn't he ever say, hey, hey, I didn't know you were an orphan? Like, like that's a big question to ask someone, isn't it? You're going to spend eternity on this side of eternity with. There was never a time in these four to five years where even, like, I mean, he's a smart man, like Hammond himself, who was always wanting, well, he wanted to kill the Jews. Didn't he ever, like, put the pieces together every once in a while when he saw, like, Mordecai, like, in the secret meeting with, with Esther? Didn't he ever wonder, why do they keep getting together? How come, like, they exchange text messages this frequently? I mean, seriously, was he so, like, out of touch with his wife, the queen, was Hammond so obsessed with killing Jews that he didn't even know there was a Jew in the palace? Seriously. I mean, wrap your mind around that for a second. So Esther realizes that she needs to talk to her husband because he's not aware that she's queen. And so she lays open this whole plan and says, if I have found favor with you, would you please let me and my people free? By the way, just picture for a second how she approached him. She approached him with great respect. 
She didn't demand it upon him. She was a very, very wise wife and queen. She didn't say, you should do this because I'm your wife. She goes to him and elevates him as king of Persia and realizes that he has an ego and realizes that he's a proud man and realizes that she goes to him in respect and says, if you would give me favor, would you do this? And she doesn't say, I am a Jew. She says, for me and my people, and he began to connect the dots, I'm married to a Jew. Now, just pause for a second. It's just like scripture doesn't talk much about that. I wonder what he thought. Whoa, how'd that happen? See, we just kind of blitz right through this scenario, but the, listen, there's human beings here. Like, like, they're not robots. Wasn't there a moment where he said, why didn't anybody tell me? Or was it, boy, I really blew this one, didn't I? And so she goes to him and asks him this question. Meanwhile, who was in the presence of the king when the queen came in there? This guy by the name of Haman, who had written an edict and signed it with the king's signet ring that was on his finger, and he, he notarized it. In other words, he said, this is going to happen. We can't change this. He says, king, we want to kill all the Jews. And so as he's hearing her say, we're going to, by the back of his mind, he's already mad because Mordecai had to robe him last week. and you imagine just throwing it? Put it on. And he had to take him through this parade that he thought was for him. And now he's standing there thinking, and she says, for me and my people. And he's like, oh, she's a Jew. Can you imagine the look on his face in that moment? And we begin to see him retreating in this moment. Look at the king's response. Look at chapter 7 and verse 5. Look at the king's response. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he, where is he who has dared to do such a thing? Can you imagine Esther? She probably went like this. This was her chance. This was her chance because I'm, we know from Scripture that she fasted and Mordecai fasted and they were praying and begging for this moment. She knew that this could become the moment that could change the direction of her life and her people forever. This is the moment at Esther 4.14 says, for such a time as this. These are those moments when we got to trust God. We're putting it out there. Lord, we're putting it out there. <laughs> I don't know how it's all going to like, they're going to have to put it in the blender and shake it all up. I don't know how it's all going to come out, but I'm trusting you, God. You see what's happening to the king? He takes it as a personal attack against him and his ego. Look at the response, okay? Look at her response. Now, by the way, don't you think, like, she's been thinking about this for, like, four, four, four months, five months, six months. Don't you think she's been thinking about this moment when finally, when she finds out that the Jews are dying? Don't you think, like, like she's, like, laid in her bed at night thinking, if I have a chance to say and call him out, this is what I say. And don't you think, like, she was thinking 140 characters or less, this is it. Here comes some of you got that, many of you didn't. But there's this moment that she has in time that, that, that she can speak. It's like it's finally her chance to call him out. Look at the word choice that she has. Very, very, very specific. Esther said, verse 6, and what? Adversary and what? Enemy. This what? Vile Hammond. 
Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. You bet he was. You bet he was. Look how she describes him, though. I think the word choice is, is, is critical when we read Scripture. She could have said anything. She calls him an adversary. She calls him an enemy. What does 1 Peter 5, 8 say about Satan? It says an enemy. Our enemy prowls around seeking whom he may devour. What's a Hebrew name for Satan? Adversary. She literally calls him out as Satan. In other words, listen, he he is controlled by the devil. She has her chance. Vile Satan, adversary, evil person, the enemy there he is. It was her chance. Like, she had thought through this word choice. Like, she didn't, she didn't beat around the bush. She kept it short and sweet. She says, enemy, adversary, vile. So now the king has a choice to make because who dared do such a thing? Kill you or put a death wish on you. Like, by the way, in case I haven't forgot here, that's his wife. Like, he might be unattached from Persian and, and relationship, but who would, who, would, who would bring a charge against the king that would take out his wife? And it says in the text that Haman was terrified. You bet he was. Boy, things have a way of turning around quickly, don't they? When God has his hand in the mix. So look what happens. Look at the king's response. Look at verse 7. It says this in verse 7. The king got up and drank some Arnie Palmer's. No, it doesn't say that. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. He was angry. He was brewing. His, his, His top was ready to explode. But Hammond realizing that the king had already decided his fate. In other words, the king didn't have to say anything. He saw his face stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his what? When I read this account, and I've read it many times, I'm often reminded of what Proverbs 16.33 says. It says this, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. I'm also reminded of Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 27. It says, if you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. So Queen Esther has a choice to make. I mean, she she has Hammond that's begging for his life. Can you imagine? I mean, as he's on the ground, he still has the signet ring that, that he that he got from the king. I mean, he's like the prime minister, and like he's got power that that no one else in the the, the, the country has outside of, of King Xerxes. I mean, he is what he says happens. What he stamps takes place. And now there's this cowering, terrified enemy bowing before the queen who is a, a God follower. I just love this picture. It's a picture of every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he begs her for his life. You know, don't throw away the humanness to the story. Esther still had a decision to make. She could have pardoned him. She could have given mercy upon mercy and upon mercy and said, hey, don't ever do that again to our people, but you get out of here, okay? She, she could have done a variety of things. So she had a choice to make. Would, 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 would God want her to, like, put a death execution notice on his life? 
would she act in prudence? Would, what would be her response? You know, sometimes we read this and we think, well, this is what I would do. Listen, she's a human being that's trying to listen to God, just like we do. I mean, how many times have you had someone come back to you? It's like the 15th time they've done it. It's like, should I give them grace again? Should I give my child who, who's done this thing over and over, who, who, who just continues to fail? Should I become a crutch for them and let them, let them, let them, Pick them back up again. What should I do? Listen, this is a real moment. This is like those moments where you're saying, please, God, speak loudly. In fact, send me a text, God, okay? So don't, don't ever lose the humanness to these stories when you read them in the Bible. So she has a decision to make, and he's begging away. I mean, think about this. If you were him, wouldn't you be begging away too? Like, I, we don't know what begging meant, by the way. We don't know if, if, if he said, hey, by the way, I'll give you my house, my car, my boat, uh, I'll give you whatever you want, my bank account. We don't know what beg means. You know, we don't know if he tried to work a deal with her. Now, he was human, so that's all he knew. And I'm sure he threw everything out. Like, like, like if you let me go, let me go, I'll give you this. And you let me go, I'll give you that. If you let me, you let me, you let me, you let me. And she had a decision to make to him. Look what happens next after that, verse 8. Just as the king returned from the palace, remember, he left in rage to the banquet hall. Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then... Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, in case you haven't noticed, king, here, here's, I'm telling you, this, this kind of stuff, because I'm a human being and I'm a male, like, I'm pretty observant. Like, dudes, like, if you've been walking through, like, you've been driving through Goshen, like, for the last three weeks, and you saw this 75-foot gallows that, that was, you know, over by Burger King, like, and, I mean, if you didn't see it, wouldn't, like, someone else tell you, hey, man, someone's getting executed. Have you taken a look yet? I mean, somehow, like, this all escaped. I mean, was he so obsessed, this king with himself? And was he so, like, got up every day and had servants serving him that he lost complete touch with the? I believe he did. I believe he was just a position, a person in a position, that he really let other people rule. But when he was called out, I mean, I'm sure Hammond didn't go to him and say, hey, I built a gallows. Look what happens next. And so this Harbana says this, and he says, by the way, have you noticed there's a pole? reaching 50 cubits, 75 feet in the hair that stands by, in the air by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the, the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. So we read this, and we're like, wow, that's cool. Hallelujah. We'll just move on here. No, 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 listen. Do you see what's happening here? I mean, just go back a couple pages. Just go back a couple nights and a couple weeks and a couple months when the Jews were like hiding and they were fasting and they were in sackcloth and they were begging God, God, please. And, and, and now just days before they heard that there was a party that, and a parade that, that went through the streets of Persia and, and that Mordecai is now in, in, in the, got honored. And, and now they're saying, wow. And now, now they hear that their, their antagonist, the, the evil 
guy, the adversary, the vile who put the edict out there. They knew who put the edict out there. They knew who carried the signet ring. It was word. He, he was the prime minister. They knew. And now they just got word that this very same dude that put an edict to kill all the Jews, by the way, is 75 feet in the air without a head on his head, shoulders. Now, how did all that happen? Like, like did, how did that take place? I mean, imagine a Jew during this time, what would happen to your faith? So they hang him on it, and in the very gallows that he built for Mordecai, and he even used his own money to do it. <laughs> I always think of Galatians 6, 7, and 8 when I read accounts like this in Scripture. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He who sows destruction reaps destruction. Let me just ask you a personal question from an application when I read something like this. What have you been sowing lately? Like, like what you sow last night with your family and your God and your community? What, what did you sow this week when you were all alone with your boyfriend and girlfriend? What did you sow this week when you were typing away on social media? What did you sow this week when you were all alone by yourself? What, what were the things that you were sowing? Let me tell you, whatever you're sowing, you know, and you're putting in the ground, not, not needle and thread. I'm talking about planting, whatever, whatever you're planting, and, 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 and you're going to reap it. I mean, it, it, it takes place. I mean, so whatever you put in the ground, listen, that's what's going to grow out of it. So if, if you're planting, if you're planting greed, if you're planting jealousy, if you're planting hate, if you're planting all these things that don't line up with God, guess what you're going to receive? That's what you receive. If you're planting destruction on someone's heart and life, that's what you get. And that's what Haman was doing. Death, destruction. <laughs> it all got reversed, and he forgot that, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. See, God's finding a way to help his children. And he doesn't stop here because there's still an edict in the land. And once an edict is printed and written and signed with a signet ring, it's not like they can go to the Library of Congress and say, hey, hey, let's take this out and let's get rid of it. No, it, it, it's a done deal. So they have to do something. Now, there's this, there's this word on the street that says, kill the Jews, kill the Jews, kill the Jews. It doesn't matter if Hammond's dead or not. The word on the street has been issued by the, the king, and it stays. You don't change that. And all of a sudden, we see a turn in this whole account. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. It's the first time she says, hey, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know, you never asked me this, and we've been married like five years. Uh, uh, this is my dad. Can you imagine that just for a second? Just Come on, just from a human perspective. Like he walks in in this robe and like, like your dad is like, that's the dude that told about the assassination attempt. Like he's the same one. Yeah, that's my daddy. And by the way, I'm an orphan and he rescued me from that. But don't disconnect from the humanness here. I mean, that had to be a moment in itself. Like, whoa, like, are you serious? See, God is working behind the scenes even when we think he's silent. Look what happens next, and it says, verse 2, the king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman. In other words, he took it off of his finger before he impaled him and presented it to who? Who did he give it to? Mordecai. 
And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Now, just a few days earlier, Mordecai was going to die. And now, by the way, he's got Haman's bank account. I mean, just serious, think about this. Like, he's, he's on the chariot, he's going to the Jerusalem ATM, the Persian ATM. <laughs> you know, he's flipping up his robes, and they're just blowing in the wind. He punches in the password. Like, I'll just take, like, how about 50,000? <laughs> Church, don't ever give up on your God. You know, and some of you are there, it's like, this is too big, God. Like, like God... You've never been through this one before. Like, you don't know him. And, and you don't know her. And you've never met my boss. And, and the doctor said this. And this free agent over here, he's, he's coming back, and I don't have a chance to take his spot. And this and that, God, come on. And so, you know what we do? We'd rather just kind of worry about it. And have this bag of heaviness instead of giving it to God and say, God, I trust you. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the God of the universe, when he looks down at you and you're carrying the weight of the world and the concern of the world and the anxiety of the world and the worry of the world, do you think God's going to bless this? Like, I'm so glad you trust me. <laughs> Boy, look at that faith. That faith will move, will move. I don't know. You see, our faith does impact our future. So now, Hammond's dead. The Jews still have an edict that says they're going to die. Mordecai is like, he's a multimillionaire. The queen finally got it out and told the king, I'm a Jew, and she's not dead. So what happens next? Look at verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agaite, which he had devised against the Jews. Look at the position and the way she, she talks to her husband and king in respect. She's begging. She's not demanding. She's not saying, you need to. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. Listen. I love Proverbs 13, 22, because Proverbs 13, 22 says the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Listen, there might be someone right now that you look at and you say, man, they are so far from God. Man, God, why do you allow that to happen? God, why do they live high on the hog? God, why this and why that? Why, God, do you allow? Listen to me. There will come a day when God says, literally, he can walk into a situation and he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. There is a day that he can walk into your life if you believe it, and he can turn your situation brown for the best, but he will not do it until you trust him. You see, fear can cause a fight or flight response for you and me. And in this case, Esther, she's ready to fight for her people instead of fleeing. See, the more you walk through these kinds of steps of fear, the bigger your view of God becomes. You can see the courage building in this rescued orphan who is the queen of Persia, by the way. By the way, here's what I want to do. I did, when I read scripture, I like jump in and become parts of the people. Like, so I was reading this week and I was getting here and I was thinking, I'm going to be Queen Esther. Like, and so, so I'm reading. So I thought, 
what, what would I do? And so then I would try to be Queen Esther. And then I said, I want to be like Harbona, or I just want to be one of the attendants. And I want to go up to Queen Esther and say, Queen, you're the queen. <laughs> like, don't forget, you're the queen of Persia. Listen, don't forget, you're allowed to go to the king and talk to the king. You are the wife of the king. You can talk to the king. Like, I want to tell her, don't forget who you are. Don't forget where God's placed you. Don't forget that something really crazy is going on. You're a Jew and you're the queen of Persia. Listen, he's got your back. You see, sometimes we look at these things and we don't even realize that God is working. He's placed us in places and we got to pull away and say, how did that happen? Read on with me. Look what happens next. And after they hear this, verse 5, she says, if it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor, thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman's son and the Agiite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? So she's begging him, how can I bear to see the destruction of my family? She's, she's saying, they're my people. Verse 7, King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews. But the, now look what he did. He attacked the Jews. I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now he says this. Look what he says in verse 8. Now write another what? Decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to what? You. Now, wouldn't that be fun? Come on, come on, wouldn't it be fun? Like, there's times I say, oh, God, I know vengeance yours says, Lord, but if you just give me, like, like 10 seconds with this person, I'm, all I'm asking is 10 seconds, God. I mean, this is, this is her chance. Like, God's saying, okay, you write it as seems best to you. Are you serious, God? Like, you've really given me the chance to, 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 to say what I want to say and see what I want to see happen? Yeah, I'm giving you the chance. Here's another thing I'd love here to pick up. The king doesn't write the edict. He gave it to Esther. You see, there's times in our lives where we're the ones that have to stand up and fight for the cause, that God wants us to do it instead of us asking other people to do it for us. You know, we're, we're pretty prone to that sometimes. Like, like sometimes, here's, here's how it plays out. Like, we see a need or we see something that needs to be done. And so, you know what we do? We, 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 we call the church. Says, hey, church. I see this need. Can you do something about it? And we wash our hands. Whew, took care of that one. And maybe God is saying, hey, you go sell something. Hey, 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 you go serve these people. Hey, hey, you take care of one. Hey, you do it. And so often it's, our pattern is we feel better about it if we can just give it away. And that way we're feeling good when we, we, we solve our conscience and, and we, we put a, a salve on it. And maybe God is saying, like right here, he's saying to, to Esther, he says, you know what? You write it. You take care of it. You, instead of passing it on. God often gives us opportunity for victory, yet we must overcome the danger to claim it. She walked in the presence of the king. And she began then to write this edict so that her people could be saved. So watch what happens. Look at verse 9. At once the royal secretaries were summoned after she had written this on the 23rd day of the, of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders of the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. That's a big territory. 
these orders were written in the script of each province in the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring that used to be on Hammond. Don't forget that. And sent them by mounted couriers. By the way, I told you a few weeks ago, this is where the Pony Express came from. It came from the Persian Empire who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. You bet they were fast horses. Get gone and go tell them. In verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and what? What's the word? Protect. That's critical. It doesn't say attack. It says to to protect. But the order that was given by the Persians on the Jews was to attack. They weren't supposed to go attack. But when someone attacked them, they were to defend and avenge and protect themselves. So they have these two edicts out there. And it says this in verse 11, the king's edict granted Jews in every province chance to protect themselves, to destroy and kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to this is in all the province of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. I find it interesting that that it's Friday the 13th. Move on, verse 13. A copy, I don't know that it is, but it's funny. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge, protect, not attack themselves on their enemies. Verse 14, the couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on by the king's command. You bet they were. And the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. And then in verse 15, this is, you're seeing the, turn, the tide completely turn. You're seeing the emotion of the Jews completely. You're seeing this story turn into, and they live happily ever after. Verse 15, when Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous what? What's the word? Celebration. Quite a change, isn't it? Pretty quickly. The city of Susa, which is the Jews, held a celebration because it said this, that when someone came to attack you, you could now avenge and protect yourself. And there's a queen that's in the palace and her name is Esther and she's a Jew. We have a chance to live. There was a death warrant in wish on us, and now it's different. Gather the troops. We are God's people, and he has the God of the angel armies. We're in good shape. So they had a celebration, it says. And then in verse 16, it says this. For the Jews, it was a time of what? What's the H word? Happiness and what? Joy and what? Gladness and what? Honor. Boy, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Like, it's been four years since they put those four words and strung them all together and said, hey, I'm a Jew. Happiness, joy, gladness, and honor. And for some of you, listen, that day is coming. Remain faithful. Don't try to take this from God. That day could happen tomorrow. It could happen this week. You could get the phone call. You could have your dream realized. But listen, don't try to take away and do it all yourself. Let God do his work and remain faithful in that process. There's one little Hebrew thing that just really turns the tide in my mind as I read this. You know what the word happiness means in Hebrew in this account? 
Happiness means this. Lightness. L-I-G-H-T-N-E-S-S. That means what was heavy, there was a celebration of lightness. Like, there was this weight and this burden that was on the, on the land. And, and now, all of a sudden, there's this celebration of happiness that's lightness. They could finally breathe. Have you ever had that happen? It's like, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting 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 waiting. And there's been times you've picked that heavy bag up, and now it's not even there anymore. God just strips you of it. And it's like, oh, I can take a breath. My son is running back to Jesus. I can take a breath. My husband and I have worked this out. I can take a breath. Oh, I can pay my bills. I can take a breath. Oh, and it's just this. So picture this all across. Just picture, if you can, these Jews are now light. It's like they don't have this weight bearing on their back any longer. And it gives me the picture that God says, come unto me all your weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. They celebrate a time of lightness. Have you ever experienced that? Like, all of us have. Like, like you finally got the word from the doctor. Like, and you just say, thanks, God. It's like, all you want to do is like, you want to float. It's like, and you just want to, like, you just want to open up your house windows and wind down your windows with the dog and just... See, I believe that's in store for some of you if you just hold on. I think happiness is our glimpse of heaven that God gives us. Like, by the way, being happy isn't sinful. But like I hear people say, well, God never called us to be happy. Listen to me. I know he called us to be faithful. I know he called us to be, to, to be loyal. And I know, I know God called us. But listen, happiness is a trait that comes from heaven. And there are moments that you should just feel light. In this case, there it is. Like, it's okay to be happy. And there's a difference between happiness and joy. But listen, don't get them confused. It's like, well, he can't be happy. He's a Christian. You've got to be joyful. Every time I see a, a small child at um, the chief with an ice cream cone in his hand, there's a part of me sitting now, that's a picture of happiness, isn't it? And, and there's a part of me that says, you know, they would have survived without that ice cream cone, but it sure was fun to watch them eat it and while they had it, wasn't it? See, I believe that happiness are glimpses of what heaven's going to be like. Don't you think we need that from time to time? This, like, Lord, just give me a glimpse of heaven. He's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you what it's going to be like in heaven where there's no mourning, where there's no tears, where there's no pain, where there's no temptation, where there's no sin, where there's no adversity, where there's freedom, where there's Jesus, and it's forever, ever, 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 ever. And I think those moments of happiness like we see here, God's saying, I'm just giving you a little snapshot. Like, maybe it's just like for a day, but I tell you, when that day comes, you just float. But it doesn't end there. I love how this chapter ends up in verse 17. It says, in every province and in every city, they were having this celebration of lightness to which the edict of the king came. There was joy and gladness amongst the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And then it says this. And many people of other nationalities 
became what? What's it say? Jews. Because the fear of the Jews had seized them. This verse brings great intrigue to me. It just does. I mean, when I think that, why would someone want to become a Jew if you were a Persian or an Amalekite or whatever nationality you were? Why, why would you become a Jew? Maybe they became Jews because they saw that, that it was safe to be a Jew. And so maybe they just faked it. I believe it's deeper than that. You see, I believe this with all of my heart. The most powerful testimony that we have for our world is someone who trusts in God through trials and adversity, and they stand above it, and they walk in faith and trust, and they glorify God no matter what comes their way. And I can't not think that these Persians were watching these Jews, and they were saying, how can you stand and still praise your God? How can you daily sing worship songs to your God when you know you're going to die on the 13th day of this month of that day? How can you still glorify God and say, God, I trust you even though I lose, could lose my life? I think with all my heart, I believe in all my heart that the reasons that they converted, the reasons that they wanted the God is because not only did they see their faith, but then they saw this God called Yahweh, called Jehovah, hang the man that wanted to kill the Jewish people. They saw God come through and they said, we haven't seen a God like that in a while. Now here's what's good news for us, Grace. The same God that kind of, you know, did this right here, He's alive and well today. And these are human beings. These aren't like just characters that Hollywood came up with. This is a real God with real people, and we have the same real God, and we're the same real people, and he can do the very same real thing for us. There's nothing as powerful as a personal testimony of God working through a person. So how do you, how do you, how do you keep from carrying this thing? By the way, it's heavy. How do, you, how do you keep your mind from being trapped? Some of you are mentally, you've got this, this, this heavy bag, this, this sea bag of, of, of concern, of weight. And, and it's like you go to bed and it's like, poof. And you wake up and everywhere you go, how do you, how do you strip yourself of this? How do you, how do you allow God to, to remove it? How do you keep from just wanting to pick it back up? I believe one of the best ways to do it is faith. But I also believe we got to realize that the Bible says we're alien strangers here, and this is temporary. And every once in a while, we just need to pull away and say, <laughs> there's coming a day. There's coming a day, and it might happen today. The rapture might occur. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> there's coming a day that you and I will stand before our God, and there will be no more weeping. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears. There will be no more Satan. There will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. No more. There will be freedom and lightness. And by the way, that's what we've been called to, and it's bank on it. If you know Christ, that's what's coming. Oh, Jesus, give us a picture of that today, please. Please, Jesus, please, Jesus, help us to see that you hold me now. And even though it might appear like all hell is breaking loose in our lives, we can firmly stay rooted in you, God. Help us not to pick up this bag of heaviness. Help us, to, if we need to, just to look forward and say, there's a celebration of lightness coming, and it's eternal. 
Oh God, give us that picture today. Even as we, we, we hear the words of the song and we sing them out, may they just be more than words. May they be truths that are embedded into the hardwiring of our lives so that we walk in freedom and joy and the happiness can come when you take the weight, God. In Jesus' name, amen.